All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 10, episode 10 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm here with Mikey Dugala. Got it right? Domagala. Domagala. Okay, my bad. Yeah, there you go. He's the uh, creator of uh, IG Content NBA uh, official. Um, And we're here today to talk about a variety of NBA topics from all-star snubs, uh, the Knicks and their run, the Suns, what they're doing in particular, things of that nature. And so the first thing we're going to touch base on, but before we touch base on it, introduce yourself, your product, your content, and uh, why you chose to be here today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, my name is Mikey Domagala. Almost like you said, it's all right. It's all good. Right. <laughs> uh, I am the owner of NBA Buzz on all platforms uh, with 3 million followers combined. And I also host my own show, Inside Buzz, and an ESPN podcast called The Truth Podcast. Um, so I'm doing all that. Uh, like you said on Instagram, check me out at official NBA buzz. So yeah, posts, you know, NBA news, uh, stats, uh, you know, posts every day, unique content and uh, exclusive interviews, which is tied in with my show. So yeah, check me out on there. Follow me at Mikey Domagala on Instagram. You guys heard it. Mikey Domagala. Check him out. And as we headed to the first topic, let's talk about NBA all-star snubs. All-star break is upon us. The game's kind of wrapped up last night. And so there was a variety of individuals that we could put up there. A couple of them got into the game because the likes of Anthony Davis wasn't able to play and Kevin Durant being out with the injury, mm-hmm. things of that nature, opened up slots for the likes of DeMontis Sabonis and Devin Booker. And so but there's a variety of guys that haven't made it. And so before I say mine, I want to hear yours. Guys that you feel like were snubbed, had productive years in the first half of the season that deserve to have their names and, you know, their games out there on the court in Atlanta for All-Star Weekend. Oh, man. Well, the two biggest snubs, and if if KD and AD were healthy, were, of course, Devin Booker and Sabonis on each side, uh, both very deserving. And in my opinion, I think the NBA has to add a couple slots because there's so much talent now in the NBA that people are getting screwed, and they're putting up terrific numbers, and they're just not getting that nod. And that's really important to a lot of guys. But outside of Sabonis and outside of Devin Booker, you know, I'm looking at Shea Gilchrist Alexander in the West. I'm looking at uh, DeMar DeRozan. Man, there were really so many guys. And on the East side, uh, Trey Young, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler. I could understand why not Jimmy Butler because he was injured. And uh, on the West, I could I could see why C.J. McCollum wasn't in as well because of the injuries. But Man, if all those guys are healthy, that just shows the NBA needs to do something about it because, all right, maybe it's it would look like, oh, everybody will get a trophy kind of thing. But everybody is so deserving that some more spots, I think, in my opinion, need to be opened up for such guys that I mentioned. And I would I would love to hear your other snubs as well, because guys like Malcolm Brogdon are, are, are down there, too, who are deserving. So before I go to my snubs, and a lot of those names that you said are kind of mine as well, you said open up spots. So ideally, how many spots would you recreate to have the likes of those players you just mentioned be a part of the festivities? Yeah, so we got we got 12 on each team, I believe, right? Thinking maybe 12, yeah. I'm thinking it's 12. I, why not go Why not go 15 on each? And just so those guys could get the nods and the credibility. That's just how I see it. Uh and then even even the rosters in the rising stars and the dunk contest. We got we got three dunk contest participants this year. That's a little weak. I feel like that's gonna go a little quick. 
And the Rising Stars, again, a lot of snubs over there too. So even maybe they should ex- extend their roster. Yeah, the biggest one people were talking about with the Rising Stars was Emmanuel Quickly, who balled out with yeah. the Knicks during, you know, their rise. And so for me, all-star snubs, I have DeRozan probably might be the most plausible one. Mike Conley as well. I want to attack with DeRozan. Another one too. DeRozan and the Spurs, and I know a lot of people don't really look at divisions in NBA basketball as being a big deal, like the likes of baseball and the NFL. Mm -hmm. But the Spurs are number one in the Southwest division. And a lot of that is because of DeRozan's play. He's averaging 20 a game. But the biggest thing that he's doing very well in comparison to what he's done throughout his career, the assist total, 7.2 assists per game shooting 48% from the field, and the Spurs are 18-14. and 14. Now, granted, they had a very bad loss last night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, but that's not nothing to be ashamed of because even though the Thunder are 15-21, and 21, they're probably the most competitive second-worst team in, like, the conference. <laughs> NBA so, history, maybe. Right, maybe <laughs> NBA history. I mean, the knock on them is, do they know how to tank? I don't even think it's in their yeah. culture. But another one is Mike Conley. I thought for sure Conley would get in because it was a topic brought up a couple weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, he can get in because I expected the likes of a Devin Booker and, you know, Chris Paul, Mitchell, for those guys to get nice. But when Booker didn't even slide in until, you know, Durant wasn't really able to play. Well, AD wasn't able to play. That's when it kind of was like, man, did Conley ever really have a chance? Uh, maybe what hurt him was his point per game totals. Mm-hmm. But he is shooting 42% from three, shooting 82% from the free throw line. And he's on the best team in the league. And the knock on Conley last year was he just wasn't able to stay on the floor, which is probably why the Jazz weren't performing at the level that everybody thought they were going to perform like the year prior. They're doing it now because everybody's been able to stay within the lineup without being a part of the COVID-19 scares that have ravaged a variety of teams. Uh, my guy, De'Aaron Fox. I've been a huge De'Aaron Fox Man, fan. Man, he's another one out west. Another I one know, I another forgot one. about. Yep. Yeah, he, I've been a huge fan of Fox since he came into the league. thought he was the best point guard in this class. And he's proved that. Really, these last two seasons, I think the issue is the Kings are 14 and 22 and they play at nine o'clock on the West Coast. And we are a nine o'clock West Coast team that's not very good. And you don't get those national televised games. Nobody's really looking for you, but he's averaging 23 a game, seven to six, 46 percent from the field, 34 percent from the three point line. He is shooting 67 percent from the free throw line, which is kind of alarming. But nonetheless, he deserved to be in there. Bam Adebayo, like you said, he's playing very well. And I want to give Autobio credit. Coming into the year, I was like, the main thing he needed to add to his game was the mid-range. I felt like in the playoffs, in the bubble in particular, when they played the Lakers, they kind of backed off of him and were like, here, we'll give you the mid-range because we don't feel like you're comfortable enough to take that shot. And he kind of didn't take it and settled to just crash inside against the length. He kind of got neutralized in that series. When Butler's been out, we've seen the development in that aspect of his basketball game. Nick's expanded everything else around his own skill set. And so I got to give him great, great applause and approval for that. And the last but not least, Tobias Harris. Uh, he's on the best team in the East. He's averaging 20 a game, three assists. He's a 50-40, almost a damn near 50-40-90 guy. He's shooting 88% from the free throw line, but he's shooting 40% from three, 51% from the field, 24 and 12 Sixers. A lot of people thought when KD wasn't able to play, he would take KD's spot, the opening. And they gave that to Sabonis, who I don't have a problem with. Sabonis was balling well, balling very well throughout the first half of the season. So, yeah. Well, I got another guy for you. What about Chris Middleton? He's another extremely efficient scorer, 20 points per game. Uh, last I checked, probably five and five assists and rebounds, just about 50, 40, 90 as well. So the list goes on and on, my man. 
It does. There was a time where Middleton was actually, you can make a case, outperforming Giannis at one point in the season. Yeah. He was literally keeping the Bucks afloat. And then Giannis finally found his groove and started to produce the all-star caliber, MVP caliber numbers we're accustomed to seeing. And then Middleton kind of wasn't really given that a play, given that, you know, recognition, especially when Drew Holiday went out and they started to slide. It became Giannis is doing everything. Where's everybody else? And so that may have hurt him a little bit. Um, Trey Young is another guy. I think the issue with Young and the Hawks were they just weren't really living up to the expectations everybody thought they were going to yeah. live up to coming into the season. That's why Laura Pierce wasn't there anymore. And I called that early on in the year when they added Nate McMillan to the staff. I was like, Pierce days is number. And inevitably, if this team doesn't get off to a fast start, McMillan's going to take over. And he's going to coach that team. And so far, he's taken over and coached them. And I think they've won two straight games. I'm not sure. So, um, I think that's probably hurt Young in that aspect, but he can play, and um, he's going to be a special player for years to come. I got to tell you something else about Trey Young, which a lot of people in the NBA buzz comments, a lot of friends of mine who I've discussed Trey Young's, uh, you know, why he wasn't an All Star. You know, the reserves are up to the coaches, and Trey Young this year has has made a lot of people a little annoyed at him with his style of play, trying to get to the free throw line, maybe just instead of trying to score. He's really one of those bait guys who he'll just lean into you and just get to the free throw line. So where all these coaches, if he does that to all 29 other teams and these coaches are voting on him between uh, Trey Young and somebody else, they may take the other guy because they're so pissed off about, you know, selling fouls and flopping. That's not all of it because I think Trey is deserving number wise, but that is a little tidbit you could, you could, you know, you got to think about. Yeah, that's a great aspect to bring up. Um, coaches do dictate which of the reserves are able to join the all-star team. And, yeah, that Steve Nash is the guy that we probably referring to. He was the first individual that was like, yo, Trey Young, he's baiting my my players. Yeah. And I think that's kind of weak. And you had a lot of guys that are Trey Young defenders. They were like, well, Steve, you used to do the same thing. And I'm like, <laughs> did he, though? I mean. I feel like he's in it. Because yeah, I, I really. I saw a stat where, like, Steve Nash averaged, like, three – three free throws a game in his career and Trey's up to like eight or something like that. So, you know, I don't know, but when I, Trey played my Knicks a couple of weeks ago and, you know, Tom Thibodeau, uh, Tom Thibodeau, excuse me, he gets hot. So he gets really annoyed when things don't go his way with the referees and stuff like that. So Trey was baiting the Knicks and Thibodeau. Oh my, you could tell he was on fire about that. And I'm sure Thibodeau didn't forget it. So I'm sure he didn't get a nod from, uh, for Trey. Yeah, and so he's got that with the coaches. And then on the players' aspect, I mean, he was probably never going to be a starter. I mean, James Harden came into the East yeah, no. and basically took over. It was it was hard. Kyrie was playing well. Yeah. But even in his own locker room, John Collins made us think about it. And the Athletic wrote a little piece about it in the middle of the year saying, Trey's not passing the ball. He's ball dominant. And they do rely on Trey a lot to be productive, and he has a point. And so there's that aspect as well. But, you know, Trey Young's game is what it is, I think, largely because – He's undersized and mm-hmm. he may have to over, you know, sell his offensive moves to bait defenders into getting, you know, the requisite opportunities at the free throw line. Because as you see him go to the basket with these layup situations that he's given, he's got to do a lot. He's got to exert a lot of energy to get the ball up high around the glass because he's an undersized guy. And so you see that you got to get crafty with it because you're not a Giannis type player in terms of height not even a Bradley Bill Westbrook where you can just attack the rim and be like, I can overpower you because I'm six foot three plus. And so that's the kind of situation he's in. And he kind of lends himself to be 
in areas where he may oversell a call to get the requisite advantage that he needs. Definitely. And, you know, he's still so young. What is he only 21, 22 years old? So his game is only going to evolve. Maybe he'll, he'll uh, get different ways. Maybe he'll develop a floater or something like that more so to help him avoid selling calls, but he's putting up the numbers in year three and uh, he's personally been playing extremely well. The Hawks with John Collins, they've been playing better. Like you said, since McMillan got in there, I just feel like it's, the team gaining more chemistry and Trey and John Collins, maybe not having that clash a little bit. And uh, once that's all cleared up, will John Collins stay with the Hawks long-term man? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. They did give him that extension. He betted on himself so far and hasn't really worked out, but wherever he goes, um, he's going to get paid the requisite money that he deserves because he's performed pretty well since he came into the league. It's just maybe yeah. he's not the ideal fit with the Hawks under Trey Young as the point guard. He's another one who's so young, too, so he's got a lot of a lot more room to grow. For sure. Next topic, I want to touch base on James Harden with the Brooklyn Nets. And <laughs> when that blockbuster deal happened, everybody from NBA insiders, savage fans, they were like, I don't think it can work. It's James Harden. There's one ball, three ball dominant guys. Now, it felt like I was the only one on an island that said, look, he played point guard one year with Houston. He played point guard when he was with OKC running with Durant and Westbrook. Obviously, that's a way, way old, small sample size, but he's ran the point before. He's a willing passer. I always feel like in Houston, they kind of made him become an ISO scorer to sell tickets. And it worked. And it got him an MVP, got him tons of consecutive playoff appearances. But when push came to shove in late round playoff series, it just never manifested to the ideal victories. And the late great Kobe Bryant, he said it, you know, when he was alive, he was like, I don't think Harden's play style can win a championship. Since coming to Brooklyn, he's been the one that's had to take a step back because he's playing the point guard position. And he's acquiesced shot opportunities to Kyrie Irving and the KD when KD's been on the floor. And it's worked. They've been 17 and 7 since he's been there. And so my question to you is, did you see this evolution of James Harden? Or maybe not the evolution, but him re defining his roots as a basketball player. Did you see that happening so effortlessly and his teammates around him coinciding with it as well to where the Nets are being at a productive level? Yeah, I think he had to do that for the sake of his career, for the sake of the haters laying off of him. You said he kind of took a step back with the Nets. He just took a different role because like you were saying with the Rockets, he was just a straight up I'm going to chuck shots. I'm going to do my double step back, fade away threes whenever I want. I'm going to pass, but only if I'm only going to pass to get assists. I'm not just going to pass and spread the ball around. You see a really a more so even keel, uh, keel James Harden with the Nets. And I love that from him because he's really, he's not really exerting himself so much. He's not going into the lane every time trying to pick up fouls. He's now attacking the basket and looking to finish he didn't really do that too much with the Rockets. Like I said, he was fishing for fouls. Now with the Nets, he's really passing the ball around, running the fast break more. You could just see his whole mojo is like upbeat and so much happier alongside KD and Kyrie. I'm, I'm impressed that Harden really changed that quickly. I think he knows, like Kobe said, his play isn't going to win him a championship that way. And he sees KD Kyrie around him. If they all mesh together well, they could win. So I think he sees a a championship on his mind and he's going to do anything he can to get it. 
I got to tell you, I was a big Harden critic when he was with the Rockets. I thought he was overrated, even though he was putting up those numbers. People were calling him like a great scorer, like T-Mac and, and uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, which he was, but he was doing it in a different way. Now he's so much more efficient, almost no turnovers per game, which is extremely impressive. So I really like his game, and I'm on the other side of the fence with James Harden now. I'm not knocking him. Yeah, well, Harden, you know, his Houston stint was as decorating, as exciting and intriguing as it was. You just knew overtime was going to be the same song and dance when it came to the Rockets and playoff productivity. He may have been able to, and he's shown, against teams like Utah at that time and Oklahoma City, um, teams were defensively, they just don't have the personnel to just supremely key on him or the offensive firepower to neutralize his offensive explosions. He was going to eradicate those guys rather effortlessly. But when they played the Warriors, just couldn't do it. Warriors at that time, beyond just their offensive repertoire and their explosive nature with Clay and KD, Steph, they were a very, very elite defensive team. And they just funneled all of their defensive personnel to Harden and overhelped off of guys like P.J. Tuckler and Eric Gordon and played the probability percentages. They were like, look, he may pass it to him and they may not make the shots. But for the most part, Harden's going to take a step back and he's going to settle. And he did, and it just didn't play particularly yep. well. But when he made the transition to the Nets, I looked at it as, you know what, just looking back at his time with the Rockets in a nutshell, I was like, look, Houston, they made the trade for him, and they spent too long, I think, trying to create this superstar offensive juggernaut instead of realizing after a time, hmm, we have something here with an elite-level talent. Let's build around him and welcome the fact that he's more than a scorer too and i thought when dan tony for a year this was i think before paul came maybe for a year let harden be the point guard and he led the league in assists second in scoring arguably i thought he deserved the mvp over westbrook i know why westbrook got it he had the triple double season Mm -hmm. but houston finished second in the west and obviously they lost to the spurs because in game six he didn't show up and he ran out of gas but that season showed he could be a floor general and could be the facilitator that they needed. And it didn't feel coerced. It didn't feel forced. It felt natural because he was a natural playmaker. And I knew when he came to Brooklyn, the only thing that was going to stop this team was, is Kyrie going to buy him? And he asked to the point where he said some things like, I made him the point guard. I kind of didn't, but I knew <laughs> that Kyrie was going to be the guy that was going to decide. It Was he going to be okay with hard and delegating who gets to shoot where and when, and was Kyrie going to buy in defensively? Those things have happened. The only thing that remains is when Durant comes back, is the hamstring really a problem, or was the team just low managing? Just like, okay, we're going to preserve you for the second half of the season, and then when that happens, we're going to really get to see how dynamic Brooklyn is as a team. I think it's load management. They got to protect their asset. You know, this is this is the year. This year, next year, extremely important. Before they get a little bit over the hill, I guess you could say. So these next two years, they want to really bring a championship. So why let KD just kind of burn out in 10 games if he's a little injured? Just just have him sit out, wait until it matters. So that's how I see it there. And yeah, um, you know, Blake Griffin just got bought out a couple minutes ago. I, I want to see the Nets pick him up. He's a front runner to go there. And why not? Off, off the bench, reunited with uh, DeAndre Jordan a little bit. And why not? Yeah, I was when he got released, I said the ideal situation for him would be a Brooklyn, would be a, a Denver, a spot where the front court personnel 
um, there's enough front court personnel where he can play inside and everybody else can be around him as floor spacers. I know a lot of guys are mm-hmm. saying Lakers, but the skinny with LeBron no, has always no, been. No, no, no. Right. The skinny with the LeBron thing, has always the thing been. about the Lakers, with Anthony Davis out, Frank Vogels barely played Montrezl Harrell where Harrell should be in there to step up. Now you put Blake Griffin in there, stealing Harold's minutes, and then AD will be back. That's just, that's just not going to work. That's just a typical, I, a typical Lakers fan wanting everything, you know. Exactly, and but I do think the reason why Montrez hasn't been playing the minutes that he should is, you know, Montrez is really undersized and he's not a very yeah. good defender against big personnel. So I understand why Lakers fans are like we should get Blake, but you got to think of it like this: I mean, when Blake, LeBron, Blake's about the same size. It is, oh, and so. while. And while he may be a better defender than Montrez, that's not really saying a lot. But you got to think about it on the offensive side as well. When you're a forward and you play with LeBron, LeBron's game is going to dictate your game. And what I mean by that is Blake Griffin is going to become a spot-up shooter if he goes there. Because LeBron is going to be playing a lot of big-time minutes. He's not going to take a back seat. And while Blake Griffin, I did feel the best thing that happened when he went to Detroit, he well-rounded his game. You know, when he was with the Clippers, it was Lob City. It looked amazing. But in the playoffs, it gets better defensive personnel, and they walled off the paint and made Blake become a jump shooter. He didn't have it. In Detroit, that one year, I think he had an all-NBA season. He was hitting threes, showcasing his handle, mm-hmm. being much more of a playmaker on the low block, bringing the ball up at times in the half-court set. You know, with that aspect being in his game, he could survive a little bit as a spot-up shooter, but you'd be diluting what he could bring to the table as a talent. So it's Denver. It's Brooklyn because Brooklyn, they could play KD at the five and Blake at the four. And it works because Blake will have enough of the lane to operate because Durant can mm-hmm. step out and shoot. Denver can work because Jokic can step out and shoot. And I'm looking at their team because I've seen Denver play. Paul Millsap just hasn't been there. Uh, they got Jermichael Green from the Clippers. He just hasn't been there. I know a lot of guys are saying Michael Porter, but I look at Michael Porter as more of a three than a four. So he on Denver – he would be able to give them that boost that they need in the front court, due in large part because the other fours that they've had have kind of underperformed. It's a good point. I just – I didn't even think about Denver, but I think that's a good point. I don't think he's going to go there because of Jermichael Green and Paul Millsup. I feel like they just paid they just paid for them in free agency, uh, Jermichael Green bringing him over. Then I think they extended Millsap so that it would be a little, a little crowded at that four spot. To be honest – uh reading reports Blake is seems like he's leaning to Brooklyn I think I think Blake just wants to win one he already has the personal accolades you know everybody knows him as his high flyer then he goes to you know he didn't do much in Detroit other than personal aspects no winning I think he wants to win a championship ASAP because he's probably what's he now about 32 years old so he's getting there as well so he wants to win now I agree I I felt like even though I did break up Denver, I knew deep down for Blake, it might have come, it might have, it was going to come down to does he want to return to LA or does he want to win a championship? And I feel like his personal business side with the Clippers, that's ruined. So even though there were rumors that, you know, Blake, that the Clippers wanted Blake back, his relationship with Steve Ballmer, that's still tainted. Um, Lakers, like I said, um, personnel wise, I just don't see it being the ideal fit. No. Brooklyn makes sense. You're going to be able also, to win. Also, yeah. you got to think about Brooklyn. You know, uh, people didn't truly believe that the Nets are going to be able to land Harden and make this dynamic trio, right? Everybody's like, nah, they're not going to do that. Why shouldn't we believe that they're not going to bring in Blake Griffin too? 
everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, look at this team. Why not bring in Blake? Just add to the, add to the fun. So I see it happening. I just, I just read. I got an alert a minute ago. I looked down for a second. He clears waivers Sunday night at 5 p.m. So let's expect something on Sunday. For sure. And moving on, another topic, your team, the New York Knicks, they've, they've been playing very well. And when I say it, I'm astonished. Coming into the year, I looked <laughs> at it as another year where the Knicks are not going to be good. But maybe they'll get a top three pick, get Kay Cunningham. But Tom Thibodeau clearly comes in and changes the culture. And Julius Randle has a career season. And so they're 19 and 18. And when you look at Randle's statistics, he's leading the team in points. He's leading the team in rebounds. He's leading the team in assists. He's even shooting 40% from three. And I'm a little shocked that he's playing this well, but not supremely because when he played for the New Orleans Pelicans and when AD left because he got traded, he showed signs in games where he put up a triple-double. And with a higher usage rate, he'd play particularly well. Not more Randall has always been coming into the league. It used to be a destiny as a tweener. When you were a tweener, especially at the three and four spot, you were going to get played off the floor because against other fours who were 6'10", you couldn't really guard them. And when you're going against other fours, you didn't have that jump shot to space the floor because you'd be playing like a big, you'd just be undersized. Now in this new NBA, you could be a small ball big and be a dynamo. We see what Zion is doing. He's 6'7", 285, but he's so athletic. and He's so physically strong inside. It doesn't matter that he might be three inches under 6'10". He plays like a traditional big. And so with Randall... We always knew he could play inside because of his post repertoire, but now he's expanding that jump shot mid range from three. He's playing particularly well. And as a fan, you being the Nick, Nick fan yourself, are you shocked that you guys are 19 and 18 in the postseason picture? And who do you accredit this team's success towards? Randall's play or Thibodeau coming in, practically changing the culture almost overnight? It, okay, I, I, I'm definitely impressed and I'm definitely a little less than shocked. I, I expected them to be better than last year, but not this good. Uh, fifth, fourth ish in the East who I attribute the success to. It's gotta be Tom Thibodeau. Of course, player wise is Randall, but Randall just wrote a piece in the player's tribune crediting Thibodeau, crediting the, the fans buying in for making him be this all-star, this, this success of, of hype driven, you know, behind him. So I credit Thibodeau for really changing the culture holding Randall accountable. He spoke a lot about that in the article where if he does something wrong, Thibs is getting on him and he expects better. So that's a big part of it. Uh, and then again, pieces around Randall, um, Emmanuel quickly coming in, uh, Alec Burks as a shooter, uh, who yet Nerlens Noel really playing. I mean, you know, he's making the most of his minutes on the defensive end, averaging just about two blocks per game, Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett stepping up, RJ's having a really underrated season and uh, he's still only 20 years old, but I love what the Knicks are doing. And I tell my friends and my brother this all the time, the Knicks need to make a move before the deadline in a couple of weeks, because they have too many good players, not amazing players and not bad players. They have too many good players who are just sitting, wasting away on the bench. You look at Kevin Knox, who I like, Reggie Bullock, uh, Alec Burks, who I like also. Austin Rivers is on that bench. Now, look at that bundle of guys. They're, they're interchangeable. They're like the same. They're just shooters, really. So if you bounce a few of them and a, maybe a, a draft pick, first-round pick, maybe try to bring in a buddy healed or something like that 
uh, to be the starting shooting guard because we got Reggie Bullock, who's a little inconsistent at the starting shooting guard. In my eyes, he's not a starting shooting guard for the New York Knicks. They need somebody better than him if they really want to make some noise in the playoffs. So that's what I want to see. Let go of some of these pieces on the bench who are just wasting away and try to bring somebody in who, who will really help. I agree. I was looking at the Knicks statistics as a team and out of everybody on the roster, only Derrick Rose is in the thirties. So you have Man, a bunch I, of guys on your team whoo. that's like in your twenties, like obviously some are 28, 29, but in basketball language, that means you're in the prime of your career. So uh, guys, you said like Reggie Bullock, um, Austin Rivers, individuals. I remember Austin Rivers had that Utah game where he couldn't miss in the first half. No, and, and, and then, then he just, down. Then he just yeah. gets punched after that. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So you have guys who, like you said, they're playing starter minutes with the Knicks and ideally they're not starter caliber players, but I could see a team with postseason aspirations, championship goals, maybe looking at a Rivers or a Bullock and being like, we could bring them in our second unit. He could be a spot up shooter. I agree. Yeah. Um, Young talents, Kevin Knox just hasn't really panned out with the Knicks, but there is a team probably out there in a rebuilding mode that take a chance on him and try to see what he can bring to the table on a professional level. I didn't know this until I saw him play. Frank Nilakina is still on the team. So he's a guy. He's another one. He's a guy who during the time when he got drafted, he probably wasn't a top 10 pick. But I think he could be a 8 to 10 year NBA vet because he's a very good defender. Um, His basketball IQ is there. He knows the game. And so he could be an individual, a team on the rebuild, or even maybe a team on the fringe of the playoffs being like, we could bring him in. He could be a, a... our Avery Bradley type player coming off the yep. bench with defense and an ability to blossom into a solid shooter. Because when Avery Bradley came into the league, picked by Boston out of Texas, I think a lot of guys looked at him like, hmm, can he play point guard? He never really was a PG, but he developed his jump shot and he always had the defensive intangibles. And so he became a player where he could shoot 35, 36 a game, percentage-wise, from three, as well as give you that competent defensive ability on the perimeter. So like you said, Knicks have a lot of guys on their team that they could trade, swindle to some assets, and you don't have to get a Bradley Beal. I know that was a rumor, like, they trying to go for Bradley Beal. And I get it because coming into the season, Tibbs was looking at it like, look, this might be my last coaching opportunity in the league if I if I swindle with the Knicks. So I want to get high-quality, talented players on my team. Once that really wasn't able to happen, he worked with what he had, and he's done wonders. And so the biggest thing with the Knicks is their four-game Road trip coming out of the break is brutal. Uh, they play the Bucks, Brooklyn, Oklahoma City is not an easy out. And then you play Philly. That may ultimately decide how legit they are as a playoff team. No. They're not going to win all those games, but they shouldn't lose all of them either. And so no. what are you going to be looking for for them as a unit coming out of the break with that gauntlet of a road trip? Their defense. I mean, the defense have been has been winning them games all year long. Thibodeau has them locked in. Also, their three-point shooting. If the defense and the three-point shooting is in sync, I mean, they're a pretty tough team to beat. I mean, they upset the Bucs by like 25 early on. They beat the Jazz. They gave the Jazz one of their losses this season. Also, at the end of the year, say, you know, the East is so tight. Say they're trying to make uh, the play-in game or the eighth seed-ish. At the end, they play both L.A. teams. They play the Warriors, and I think they play Utah, like, in the last, like, 10 games of the season, those guys. who they need to pick up their wins when they can because that's going to be a tough time, like you said, and even right outside the All-Star break. Another point I just want to touch on before, they got to get rid of Alfred Payton. He's just – okay, 
He's averaging about like 13 this year. He's playing pretty good with his starter minutes. I'm worried about the development because you got Derek Rose, who I love, amazing pickup. Then you got Emmanuel Quickly and uh, Frank Natilakina, like you said. So that's four point guards. Natilakina is on the back burner. Emmanuel Quickly is not getting the true minutes I think he should get. So if you make Derek Rose the starter and then make IQ and Natilakina coming in off the bench, that'll be better than just quickly and Rose coming off the bench and Natilakina getting a couple minutes here and there. So I think another guy who is in the way is Alfred Payton. They need to, they need to make some moves by the deadline. That's what really makes this Thibodeau coaching job incredible because coming into the year, the running joke with the Knicks is got all these guards they don't play. Like yeah. all these fours they don't play. And so the fact that Thibodeau has been able to mix and match lineups and get the best out of each and every one of the players on the roster has been incredible. But I do agree. Alfred Payton, let's call it like it is, he's, he's a bust. But he's been able to make a nice, solid career in the league doing what he's doing. And so, like you said, he's having a pretty solid year, but Emmanuel quickly emerged. And he's, there were a lot of guys. In, he's in the way. You know what I mean? He's in it's the like way, yeah. The development of these guys becoming the best they could be, really uh, Emmanuel quickly blowing the top off of MSG when the fans are back. Everybody loves him already just from what he's doing. You know, you want to see that potential in there. Obi Toppin, too. Like, if you're from New York, you're so excited about these kids because who have we had who are great prospects other than Porzingis, who, but then he just fizzled out. So, you know, the city is on fire and doing and is loving what they're seeing when everybody's playing well. Alfred Payton's got to get kicked to the curb. Right. And what makes it even more intriguing is the Knicks, the way they're playing, it's kind of a similar vibe towards the Knicks teams back in the 90s. They're gritty. They defend. Yep. They play hard. They're versatile. They're interchangeable. Obviously, this team doesn't have a Patrick Ewing-type player, but Julius Randle being the linchpin offensively and defensively as well. But the biggest knock with the with the Knicks and everything you're saying, like they got these vets in front of these young guys, that was my only worry about Dibs coming into this team. The Knicks clearly were a rebuilding team, and he doesn't like to really play young guys. He's very hard on young guys, and there were points in the year where R.J. Barry wasn't getting the requisite minutes he deserved because he yep. played poorly at times, and he benched him. And so um, the fact that Barry's been able to recrack the rotation again, play particularly well, I think four of his last five games, he scored over 20 points. He's been 8 of 14 from three. And the biggest thing with R.J. has been shooting. Um, he's a great athlete. Um, he's very versatile, but can he make free throws? Can he hit the jumper? That's that's been the biggest thing with him, and he's been able to do that a lot well than he was really able to do so in his rookie year. And he's playing some minutes that's pretty huge. And so for the Knicks, I agree, defense is going to hold him down. But over time, the reality is while they'll make the playoffs, they're not really going to be competing for anything in particular this year. But they're building a foundation and a culture. And from there, you don't know what you can become down the line. So that's always a good thing. Perfectly said. As a Knicks fan, you know, and I could speak for other Knicks fans, we haven't done anything in 20 years, 21 years, uh, 22 years since making the last finals in 99, I believe. And, you know, it's there should be steps to this process. We got to make the playoffs this year. Maybe if we don't win a series this year, we'll win a series next year and then slowly build from there and making sure we get to the playoffs every year with these kids developing and like you said, Thibodeau trusting their growth and giving them opportunities to grow. So I'm more than happy to be a Knicks fan right now. I mean, they win a game to get over 500 and you got 
people outside on Broadway, you know, outside of MSG, just going crazy that were a game of a 500. Now imagine when we make the playoffs and maybe win a series. Uh, it's it's going to be special, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I mean, long time coming for Knicks fans like yourself. You guys have been waddling in below mediocrity for years, and so finally to see a product being built, things being put together, creating a cultural identity that's being productive in terms of winning NBA basketball games, that's a big thing in itself. And so one of the other final topics, the Phoenix Suns, speaking of the team rebuilding their culture, you know, the bubble last year, they went undefeated. And it was incredible. Even more incredible, they went undefeated and didn't make the playoffs. But um, <laughs> they went undefeated. And during that undefeated stretch, I think you saw the emergence of Mikael Bridges. Um, who played so well that it allowed the Phoenix Suns during free agency to be like, you know what, I'm going to pivot off of Kelly Oubre and we're going to rock with the young guy that we were able to get during draft nights from the Philadelphia 76ers. But the big thing, the elephant in the room is Chris Paul. He's come in and he's played particularly well. And it just felt like yesterday, when two years ago, when he didn't play particularly well against the Warriors in the conference semis in the West, I thought, man, Chris Paul, he's done. And that contract is huge. So whoever's getting him is going to get a washed up version. Of he, was a almost written off. he was he's getting almost written, written off. off. Yep. And so goes to OKC. And as soon as he got traded to OKC, everybody's thinking, OKC, he's not going to stay there forever. They're going to trade him. They keep him. And the next thing you're thinking is, OK, Chris Paul is going to pack it in. Either he's going to be like, I'm out, or he's physically going to pack it in because injuries have always been his Achilles heel. And he played 70 games. And he played at a high level and Oklahoma city was a fifth seed. They took Houston to seven and if Billy Donovan calls a better out of bounds play there in the semis. So <laughs> he did that. And it's like, wow, whole perception changes goes to Phoenix. And I expected Phoenix to be a playoff team just off Chris Paul's presence alone did not expect to be the two seed in the West. And they are playing at a high level. Seven players on their roster are in double figures. I think the guy has benefited the most from Paul being there two individuals obviously Devin Booker it's allowed him to kind of be more so of a score which is what he is the biggest knock on Booker has been playmaking ability he doesn't have to really worry about that as much he can focus on getting buckets in versatile ways because you have a point guard that can give it to you in a multitude of spots and then DeAndre Ayton when he got hit with the PED suspension last year he missed I think 30 games and mm -hmm. a lot of Suns fans attributed his absence as being the reason why they didn't make the playoffs He's here now. He's giving you 14-11. He's still a work in progress in terms of development, but he's got a legit point guard that gives him easy 10 points a game off of lobs. And then the shooters. I liked Cam Johnson, his rookie season. I thought it was an overdraft, but every time he's on the floor and he puts a shot up, I think he's going in. I mean, he can shoot the basketball particularly well. Bridges can. Jay Crowder, defensive fertility, that leadership too. They're a legit threat in the playoffs. And they're a team where I can really see them maintain the two spot. You know, the Lakers, we don't know when AD is going to come back. The Clippers have kind of fizzled out. And Utah had a huge surge, but maybe they're starting to regress back to means. I think Phoenix, they're turning the corner and they're peaking at the right time. And what do you attribute that success to being? Paul's presence or just really the Suns using that bubble energy and bringing that into the new year? Everything kind of creating its own self. Got young guys that played particularly well last year. Devin Booker's got a legit point guard that allows him to free himself up offensively. Is it just the storm coming in at the right time and then peaking or what? You took all the words out of my mouth. But no, I agree with you 
I agree with you wholeheartedly because it's it starts from Chris Paul and riding that momentum from the bubble. Because like you said, look at undefeated in the bubble without CP3. All those guys stepping up. Book, uh, Booker really playing like an insane facilitator, scoring, getting any bucket he needs. So add Chris Paul in there, Jay Crowder bringing that, not championship mentality, but NBA finals toughness that he got there and is really, you know, he's got that experience. Also, like you said, Bridges and Cam Johnson, they're these perfect glue guys off their bench. Or I know, I think one of them starts. I think it's Bridges who starts. Am I right on that? Yeah. So those two together being, you know, three and D guys almost who are pretty versatile themselves. Another young team. And they had a good draft. The Suns taking that big man and, you know, he'll develop alongside uh, Aiton. So all this is going to work out for them. And they're another team of the future because of how young they are and Man, we might see Chris Paul playing until he's 45 if he's, uh, you know, if all he's got to do is pass and score about eight points a game on this team to make them so good. Yeah, because with Chris Paul, obviously, you know, when, when they're able to show him, his prime years with the Hornets was just amazing because he had that quickness, that speed, sneaky athleticism. Now that he's gotten older, the quickness is there, but not consistently. He's not as athletic as he used to be. But when you play the point guard spot in the NBA and Westbrook has kind of showed that reality at times, if you have a consistent jump shot, you'll last a long time. He has yep. a consistent jumper from the mid-range. He can shoot it particularly well from deep, and he's a great facilitator, great IQ, great leader. And I think the biggest thing he needed to do for himself as, as a brand, image-wise, as a player, is showcase that, okay, maybe you don't gravitate towards the guys that aren't as young. Harden was kind of – he's not on Chris Paul's, like, age bracket, but he was in his – near his 30s. Um, Clippers as well. Blake Griffin, DeAndre, they were young. At those two spots, he got under those guys' skin. Not only the players, even the coaches. And so people started to look at Paul as a low-key malcontent. He goes mm-hmm. to Oklahoma City, and Alexander says he was influential in his development. And we're seeing it now in his, in his third year in the league. Um, and he's with Phoenix, and Devin Booker saying, you don't know how much it means to have Paul with me. Takes a load off of me offensively. And just another guy I can go to learning the ins and outs and the requisite positions of the game. And so that was great for him. He needed that image-wise to showcase, okay, look, I may get under some superstar skin, some guys with, you know, exuberant personalities. But when push comes to shove, if the young cats want to come to me and want to learn the ins and outs of the game and want to placate off of my skill set and buy into how I think the game should be played, we're going to be okay. And everybody's going to ride with it productively. And that's what happened in OKC. And that's what's happening right now in Phoenix. And I think if you're if you're a mature superstar who knows, you know, you're going to get your buckets, but you want to win, CP3 shouldn't get under your skin. Because CP3, whatever he was doing, whatever he was saying to these guys, like a Blake Griffin, James Harden, we know James Harden, you know, his personality back then in Houston was a little shaky. Maybe he didn't want to hear it from CP3. Meanwhile, CP3 was giving him this golden opportunity of advice. You know what I mean? So it comes down to maturity, it looks like. And Shea, Gilchrist Alexander, and Devin Booker are young enough to realize this guy's one of the greatest point guards who has ever walked this earth. So why, why shouldn't I take this advice? So that's, I don't think CP3 will ever get under their skin and they're just going to really take what he's telling them and, and just go with it and uh, become so much better. Excuse me. Yeah. With Paul, he's become basically our Aristotle. Exactly. And he basically has, and why he will probably never catch the steals and the assist records that Stockton has, he's become that in terms of his longevity, productivity, and, He's had the opportunity, and we've seen it now. Every stop he goes to, they win. 
the New Orleans Hornets, you know, before Paul came, Baron Davis, they, they went to the playoffs, you know, once. But um, he comes there, and they go basically at the precipice of a conference final. Goes to the Clippers. They never used to win. Precipice of a conference final. OKC, when it looked like they were going to tank postseason team. Phoenix Suns, he's put them back in Western Conference playoff contention for the first time in over a decade. You know, Suns haven't been back to the playoffs since, you know, Kobe did him in game six in the conference finals. That was 2010. So, yeah. you know, he's given franchises life again when it looked like they were at the precipice of, you know, nothingness, irrelevancy. And so I got to give him credit for that. Um, he probably still is a jerk, but, you know, guys are buying into the fact that he just wants to win. And yeah. honestly, he really wants to see everybody on the team get the best out of themselves. And he feels like as a player, he can do that for you. And he's shown that he can. Got to give credit. I made an NBA buzz post that went a little viral because people didn't fully realize it. I mean, obviously, everybody knows Monty Williams is a head coach, you know, uh, long He's had a long NBA career, long coaching career, very well respected. He's at the helm. And also James Jones, the former NBA champion with the Heat, sharpshooter, is the GM. So you got to give credit to those guys making the right draft picks, making the right trades, and really building this team around Booker, having Chris Paul get in there and really change the culture like Thibodeau and those guys are doing in New York. So got to give credit to them. And, man, this Suns team is team of the future, man. They're going to be really good for a lot of years. They are. And the Suns basically have done what the rivals, the Kings haven't. They've yes. hit in the draft and they've developed. Now, it was sketchy times too. I mean, there was rumblings before they got CP and Devin Booker might want to go to Minnesota and who with his buddies. But even during that time in the offseason, you just felt like they were turning a corner. And all they needed was just, they didn't need a generational talent in his prime, like a Giannis. They just needed a solid caliber vet to come in. Honestly, just need a point guard that could be a threat as a score. You know, I like Ricky Rubio, but he's not a jump shooter. And you see when Rubio was with Phoenix and when Rubio was with Utah, offensively, they were limited. And when he left and they got somebody in there like a Conley and Paul who provide variety and offensive explosion as floor spacers, they flourish. And I'm not trying to, you know, Debbie down on Ricky Rubio. He's a quality player, but they just needed a lead guard that could come in and be an option. And here it is. But that took time. They took Aiton. They took Cam Johnson at a time where a lot of people thought, you're taking Cam Johnson. He's been good for them. Mikel Bridges, they did that deal with Philly when it looked like Philly got another wing that could 3 and D. They did that. And they took a chance on Kelly Oubre. And that worked too. And so, you know, Jarrell Carter, I remember him from his West Virginia days where it felt like he was in college forever. And he, he was a guy that could, you know, play defense at a high level on the perimeter and be kind of your backup point guard. And so they've done pretty well. I did think the, I did think probably should have took Hallie Burton in, you know, this year's draft, but Hey, it's cool. Um, They're a playoff team. They're a second seeded team and they're doing it right. And I got to give Jones credit and Monty Williams credit developing those guys, because when Monty was coaching with the Pelicans, he played a huge part in developing AD, you know, in his first time making the playoffs when they lost to the Warriors, he was huge in AD development as well. And so Monty, he's great at player developing. He's great at relating to these guys. And so Phoenix, they got the right personnel and they got the right coach to send the message. Yeah. And I think that's really the big thing with Sacramento. And I'm going to go there a little bit. Yeah. Um, they starting to get the right personnel up top. They got a new GM. We'll see what he does in the, in the new drafts coming in the future. 
but I just don't think Luke Walton's the guy. I never was a Luke Walton fan. And so I understood getting rid of Jaeger. Didn't have a problem with that. But when they got Walton, I'm like, he's not any better than Jaeger. Yeah. So if you're going to do that, you could have kept Dave. And so now we're seeing weird lineups of Bagley running the five when everybody knows Bagley's not a great rim defender or rim protector. And we're seeing De'Aaron Fox playing particularly well developing in that cesspool, but they're not going anywhere. And he's wasting the pre-years of his prime. And so with Sacramento, um, obviously I feel like the biggest thing that they could do is get rid of Luke Walton and create, provide that coaching identity that can utilize that young talent that's there to take it to the next level. Because, you know, inside the NBA had a weird conversation about the Kings that I didn't expect, but then I realized, you know, Shaq's part owner. And so Shaq (laughs) was like, they're young. And I was like, okay, Shaq, whatever. And then I was like, wait, they are. I mean, Fox is 23. Bagley's like in his second or third year they have time but you don't want to wait until those guys rookie deals or in Fox's case his extensions up and it's like man we didn't even taste the playoffs then he's gone there and everybody else that you've gotten in drafts they're gone because they're like I'm not getting anywhere and then you're back to ground zero yeah uh I like what you said before about the Suns that people thought the Suns needed a superstar to come in and Giannis Antetokounmpo to really change that culture. All it took was a good coach, GM, and a, you know, aging Chris Paul. I'm not saying he's bad, but you know what I mean? I think that's the same thing with the Kings. They have the talent. They don't need a superstar. A superstar might mess up the development of De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, and those guys. You look at Harrison Barnes averaging about 18 points per game as a veteran small forward, playing terrific. What they need who my team, the New York Knicks have, is a Tom Thibodeau kind of coach who really like lights a fire on these guys and say, if you don't perform, if you're not, if you, if you keep playing lazy on defense, you're just going to get benched. I feel like these guys walk all over Luke Walton and he's not the true head coach that they need, like you said. And yeah, um, obviously a player would help them if they made a trade. So they got to bring in somebody, but I agree. A coaching change is what they need. And we also, like you said, cannot forget that they're so young. So time can also be the reason, but they need something to kickstart that time and really get them into the playoff picture. I who agree. That, who that is, I'm not sure, because I would love Buddy Heel to come to the Knicks, but can the Knicks offer somebody the Kings that are really going to be that much of a game changer? I'm, I'm not sure. It depends on how much the Kings want to pivot off of a Buddy Heel. Or Harrison yep. Barnes. We've heard those two names being part of multiple trade rumors, HB to the Celtics, Buddy to Philly. And so with the Kings, right, you know, two coaches in my mind that I, I'm thinking of, Kenny Atchison is probably going to get another opportunity. He's on the yeah. staff with the Clippers as an assistant coach. He'd be perfect when it looked like Brooklyn was was doomed. You know, I mean, they they mortgaged their whole future for KG and, they, and Paul Pierce and watched as Boston <laughs> got Tatum and Brown. And so, you know, and he came in and they got D'Angelo Russell and he performed so well. He basically almost got a max deal with the Warriors and Spencer Dinwiddie emerged and Rondé Hollis Jefferson was giving the good minutes. Jared Allen was playing particularly well to the point where now Brooklyn was able to attract a Kyrie and a KD because of what they built culturally in BK. And so he'd be the number one priority from the Kings. Get him. He's going to come in. He knows how to work with youthful personnel create an identity and a culture that you need and another guy that really hasn't gotten another opportunity for a while and I don't know if he's going to be high on guys pecking order because he's older 
Lionel Hollins. He was mm-hmm. influential with Memphis when they traded Paul Gasol and they got Mark. And when it looked like Mike Conley was going to be a bust, he was like, no, I'm going to let Kyle Lowry go and I'm going to put all my chips on the table on Mike Conley and play this grit and grind style of basketball where we'll play two bigs and we'll have a point guard who I'm going to trust to be able to run the offense. And it worked. They got to the conference finals, gave the Thunder fits for years, and they were a legit contender out there in the West. And so those are two names, in my opinion. If I'm the Kings, once this season's over, you got to do it. I thought Luke Walton wouldn't be here, and he's still there. And so now that they're, you know, went from 12 and 12 because there was the time where they beat the Clippers and they were 500. And it was a point where everybody in that division was 500. And it's going to be the Kings that are going to be the team in that division with the, the Pacific division with the Lakers and the Clippers and the Suns um, and Golden State even. All of those guys are playing well and you're not. And I think that's going to be a realization for the management to kind of be like, okay, going to have to pivot off of this head coach and we're going to have to get a guy that has skins in the game because we have young talent that's there somewhat, like they're peaking, like they're trajecting upward. You're not drafting bust. You know, Fox can play, Halliburton can play. Bagley's not a good defender, but he has a skill set that can be maximized under the right head coaching tutelage. So I'm interested to see where they go from there. Perfectly said. And I mean, as I'm listening to you talk about Brooklyn and them, the Nets have Spencer Dinwiddie on the trade block. Maybe... Maybe bringing him into the Kings could maybe work. He's a little more versatile than um, Buddy Heald. I'm not sure if Brooklyn would be interested in that or the Kings would, vice versa. But, you know, it's tough because they have the talent. So what is it that they need? It's it's almost like hard to pinpoint. You know what I mean? Because they, pre- they got a pretty good bench. I mean, they got Rashawn, Hol- uh, Rashawn Holmes, who's another guy as a forward, big man who's really good. Uh Hassan Whiteside off the bench. Uh, of course, Halliburton, we didn't really talk about too much. What is it that they need? I, I just can't even put my finger on it. Well, it's head coaching. I think that's the biggest problem. Yeah. Um, well, Walton I, has I some mean, weird – I mean, player-wise. Player-wise, of course. Player-wise. Um, but you said names, Whiteside, um, Holmes. There's times where certain lineups, those guys you just named, they're not on the floor. Yeah. And yeah. he's playing badly at the five. And I'm like, you're getting killed inside. Like, why is he playing at the five when you have options on the bench that can give you more defensive versatility? Not saying bench Bagley. He can be out there, but uh-huh. he shouldn't be your rim protector. And so you're right. Um, Dimwitty wouldn't be a bad idea as somebody that they're, you know, doing trade-wise. I didn't think that he'd be eligible because he's hurt. And I'm interested to see with right. uh, Brooklyn, are they going to maintain him? Because maybe Brooklyn's like, look, going to go on for this championship and then next year Dimwitty can be our Jamal Carford he'll be the focal point of the second unit coming off the bench and that could do wonders as well or maybe they pivot off of Dimwitty and get some more assets to refine their bench and make it a bit more younger and deeper there see I think they might bounce Dimwitty for assets because Bruce Brown is an emerging young you know nice corner nice bench piece scorer for the Nets I mean He's averaging like 15 a game over his last like 10 or something like that with KD out. He's really getting a bigger role. So are the Nets starting to fall in love with Bruce Brown and kind of forget about Dinwiddie? I think even some fans are forgetting Dinwiddie, how good he was and that he's still hurt. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do there because Bruce Brown is a lot cheaper than Dinwiddie would be. And, you know, he's, 
he's he's an emerging emerging young player too. And no, before we wrap this up, I want to touch base on two teams that have really intrigued me throughout this season: Dallas and Denver. Um, mm-hmm. I I talked to my friends about it heading into the season, and I told them I was like, I don't think Dallas is a playoff team now. Currently, they're eight seed. And the reason why I said I didn't think Dallas was a playoff team was coming into the year, Porzingis was coming off of the ACL, the meniscus, the meniscus tear. And roster-wise, they just didn't look like a roster that screened postseason. Luka yeah. Doncic is a great player. He's a top-10 NBA player. But let's be honest, Luka's not a great defender, and he's athletically limited. So he's going to give you everything he can offensively. But when he's your one source of offense and your primary defender's not on the floor – when it comes to Porzingis, you're going to give up a ton of points, which they did early in the year. You're going to be in a lot of shootouts that you can lose in the NBA because the NBA is a make or miss league. And so they picked it back up. Porzingis has come back. He's been hot or cold to the point where he's on the block trading wise. And Lucas played particularly well. He's even evolved as a talent. Um, I think these Larry Bird comparisons aren't true and aren't really right because I don't really look at him as a bird type player. I look at him more as a, unathletic James Harden honestly and so with Dallas they look like they probably might make a playoff push because unless Luka gets hurt he's in a rhythm and the team's in a cohesive rhythm to the point where they're going to make the postseason moving forward with Dallas are they a team youth wise we can honestly say we were just talking about Phoenix saying Phoenix didn't need a star does Dallas need an all-star caliber player if they're going to continue with that unit that Cubans created roster wise to be a legit contender out west, I want to see Nikola Vucevic go to the go to the uh, Mavericks. I think I think they need to cut loose Chris Porzingis. Remember, I'm a Knicks fan. I saw him from the beginning. I saw the whole development all the way to the trade. Chris Porzingis is at his best when he's playing like a big man inside, really working the post. Steps out for a three. Steps out for a mid range. What's he doing with Dallas? Straight up three point shooter at seven foot two, seven foot three. He's not playing like a big man. He's not even rebounding as great as he should be. And that's when he's on the court. So you need to get him healthy as well as playing like a big man. And if he's not going to buy into doing that, and if it's just not going to work, KP might be off the team soon. And Nikola Vucevic playing at an all-star level, does does Orlando want to go to a younger route with KP? Maybe. Is Orlando going to trust that KP is going to be healthy for a couple of years? Maybe not. So Dallas might be, you know, they were in between a rock and a hard place right now with KP and what's going to be their future. You know, I'm, I'm not sure because Dallas is another team who has good talent. They got Jalen Brunson really uh, emerging. Tim Hardaway Jr. is still good. They have other young pieces who are good. They just don't play any defense, like you said. So it's tough. They're in these shootouts in a make or miss league, a run and gun league, like you were saying. And it's just not working. So Luca needs to start clamping up guys or it's just going to kind of fall apart a little bit. Yeah. Um, we brought up Nikola Vucevic for a minute. I was like, Jokic, cause you know, Nikola, Nikola. Oh, but I was like, Oh, Vucevic. Did I say Jokic? no, but I, that's mentally what I was thinking. Okay. Cause I heard Nikola. I'm like, that's a dream, but Vucevic is a reality. <laughs> and yeah. with Vucevic, you know, Orlando is weird because one minute they were saying, you know what? We're not going to trade anybody. We feel We're like because of injuries, the and right? Then, every, we, then everybody got hurt, and then it's like, all right, back to square one. Right. Like, right. Oh crap! But it, you know what do we do now? But even when those guys got hurt, there was a report coming out, and I was like, "Are you serious?" Where they were like, "You know what? We're not going to do it." 
because Fultz got hurt. Isaac hasn't played at all. We like potentially what we can be. We'll run it back next year. I've never heard a team like Orlando be a consistent seventh or eighth seed for a, for a two, three-year pocket being like, you know what? We're not going to blow it up. We're going to run it back like they're going to compete for a championship. But that's <laughs> paused. And I expect Vucevic to be gone. And in Dallas, he'd be a perfect fit. Um, he's not the defender that KP is when he's healthy, but KP probably isn't going to be 100% for a while. So what you're going to get with Vucevic is somebody that can score on the block 20 and 10 effortlessly. And now you got that duo-wise that could be productive out west and can make you a legitimate contender. And so that's the big thing with Dallas. Um, right, Luka, Luka is who he is. He's not going to be any better yeah. defensively. We know Carlisle is a defensive guru. He's going to find team defensive schemes to make sure Luka's put in position to be successful. And Luka is six seven six eight, so he's got that going for him as well. But I do agree. The days of you being able to Allen Iverson it, to the finals, that's not going to happen anymore, especially with these Never super yet. teams being created. It's not going to happen. But the will get you to the playoffs. But what strikes me about Luka is he's a competitor. And I think in his rookie deal, it will be cool being a perennial postseason contenders, getting accolades and recognition to get that name up. But after a while, he's going to start looking around, being like, if I can't maximize my championship window here, I'm gone. And Cuban's got to think about that too. So you can't just bank on, I drafted an international talent in Dirk, and he stayed forever through all the BS mm-hmm. that we went through. Luca is a different breed. He's a different era player where player mobility is not even frowned upon anymore. It's embraced. And so that's the thing with Dallas. Right now, roster-wise, they don't have a legit team that I feel like will be a playoff threat. And so I think you play this year out, make the postseason, obviously, which is what they're going for. And then after this, if you're not able to get a Vucevic through a trade, um, before the deadline, maybe that's something you look towards in the offseason. And then with Denver, they went back into the top four, top five round, but at one point they were a seven seed. They didn't play particularly well. And they're a confusing team to me because I honestly feel like at one point last year, if they didn't beat Utah, Malone probably was going to get fired. And that would have been a tough thing to say because he developed those guys to the point where they were legit postseason contenders and threats after the Carmelo era. Um, they had that year where they beat the Spurs in seven and they, they, they should have beat the Blazers in the second round, but that was a weird game seven because it felt like everybody from an ener- energetic level just wasn't there. Jokic, your best player was lollygagging around. And if it wasn't from a column saving the day, Denver's probably in the conference finals. And so they progressed every year, but it felt like even last year when they made their run, if, the Clippers didn't choke. They would have bounced, got a bounce in the second round again. And it just felt like this season they regressed. Now, granted, Jokic is playing unbelievable. But I feel like Jamal Murray may be the most inconsistent point guard in the league. There's times where he's great and other times where he's not. And so everybody saw him explode in the bubble. But that didn't surprise me because he's done that throughout his career. You know, where he's had these big games where he'll go off against Kyrie and then give you nine. So, with Denver moving forward, it, it used to be wait until Michael Porter Jr. takes that next step. He hasn't because he's always in the doghouse with Malone. This isn't going to be the same team it's going to be next season. Uh, Millsap's contract is going to be up. I think Jermichael Green's on a one-year deal. They have a lot of guys in the roster that are starting to peek into their primes and are tradable assets that you can mortgage to get another star. 
moving forward with Denver, let's keep it this year perspective. Where do you see them going and how can they get there in terms of being a contender out West? I think they're going to get bounced early this year. I think it's because of <clears throat> the inconsistent play of Jamal Murray. And if he doesn't become bubble Murray in the playoffs early on, you know, they're, they're screwed. I'll say it like that. Cause it's true. And they're really missing Jeremy Grant this year a lot. I think they should have thrown more money at him because they didn't, his value to the team was extremely important. We see what he could do on, you know, put up empty stats on the Pistons, but he was so effective for the Nuggets and they thought they were going to get that out of, uh, you know, Millsap and uh, what's his face? Who else am I thinking of? And Green, but, you know, they're really not. So also Will Barton and I feel like Gary Harris aren't stepping up and playing how they should be as well. So that team is kind of just at the top with Jokic and Murray making the production. And I feel like they got to make some moves this, this, uh, you know, they got to make some moves before the trade deadline to, to become a, a juggernaut that they should be by now because Michael Porter Jr. should be there by now. And he's not. Yeah. This team two years ago used to be applauded for their depth. And yeah. now their depth is kind of fizzled out on um, Porter Jr. is always in the doghouse. Now, granted, there was for a month he was out because of COVID. He's come back and he's shown flashes. But I think the biggest reason why Malone doesn't rock with him like that is he doesn't want to rebound and he doesn't want to put mm-hmm. his body out on the line to defend. And I get it because he had those, you know, the scary back injuries coming into the league. And it's like, I want to conserve myself because I know deep down I maybe made a glass. But if he's not going to be able to be that <laughs> versatile weapon offensively and defensively, then you're stuck because he was that third option. And so now you don't have a third option. Then your second option is inconsistent. And I just feel like the most consistent player for them outside of Jokic is Monte Morris. And that's not good because yeah. he's your backup yeah. point guard who doesn't score a lot, but he's cerebral. He's always going to get guys in the right position. And I agree with Grant, but I get it. You gave him three years, 70, and you're thinking – Eh, there's no way, you know what I'm saying? Somebody's going to pay him that much. Yep. Detroit basically matches the deal, and he says, I'm going to get more minutes with the bad team, so I'm going to go there. And I understand why logistically, because he hears the noise, and he probably sees it in the locker room. Porter Jr. is probably going to take your spot because he's going to play that position. Great and point. Porter never emerged. And so now Denver's like, dang. So now they got to make it up by playing Barton extra minutes, and he's not playing particularly well. And Gary Harris doesn't seem like he's – been productive since like last playoffs when no. we weren't quarantined so it's it's just tough for Denver and so Jokic is having a great season but they're not fulfilling their full potential because he's having the great season and everyone else is kind of just in the bag just occasionally showing up when it's expect not expected of them and then when it is expected of them it's a disaster they had that weird sequence against the Wizards where and I saw it live Four on one fast break, and I'm like, just go oh, to the basket. Oh, that's right. Yep. End right. Of End of the game. None of them went to the basket, and you know Murray and and you know the head coach, they dogged Porter. They were like, it's Porter's fault. You know, you should have cut. I'm like, it's kind of, of everyone's fault. fault. Yeah, everybody's fault. everybody's fault, and it really starts with the point guard Murray. If Murray presses the issue, mm-hmm. everybody's gonna follow. They are, and if yeah. Murray presses the issue and forces it. You're going to get filed and they're going to call it, but we'll never know because he pulled up. Everybody else mm-hmm. pulled up. Well, you're the floor general on the floor as the PGO, your team. 
they follow where you go. You set the tone, the emotional tone, not just with your voice, but with your play. And he came up small in that moment and they did too. And so that the fallback from all of that is a microcosm of why that team hasn't produced like we all expected them to come into the year. Um, Guys that are expected to step up haven't. And thank God for Jokic, because if he hasn't been playing at this MVP level, they may not even be a playoff team this year. I like what you said about that being a microcosm of the season, because in that circumstance, they didn't grab the bull by the horns. And really one of them didn't try to go and tie the game and nobody took the, you know, tried to cut because if Murray went in there, you know, Porter Jr. from the corner is going to run in to try to rebound or Murray goes up for a fake layup, hooks around to Porter right here, cutting, and he's right in there for the dunk to tie the game. So who's going to really take the bull by the horns and really want that game? And three or four of them just didn't want the game and just went, you know, went blank in, in their brain. So that was, uh, that, was, that was a pretty disgusting possession. I'm not going to lie. That was sickening to watch. It was, it was. And with that, it's the end of episode 10 on the Independent Intel Podcast. Um, here with Mikey on Inside Buzz. He was probably the best guest I've had so far when it comes to talking about basketball. And before you go, just talk about your content and um, what you want guys to see from you moving forward. Yeah, again, I appreciate you having me on. Fun hour of talking hoops. Can never This never gets old. But uh, follow me personally on Instagram, at Mikey Domagala, and check out at Official NBA Buzz on Instagram. Straight up NBA Buzz on Facebook and Twitter. Three million combined followers. Go check out my interviews with NBA legends, Hall of Famers, and current NBA players at Inside Buzz. You can see the merch I'm wearing and my banner behind me. So check that out. And yeah, if you want to talk hoops ever, just send me a DM or ask me to be on your show. And I'm always going to be coming on. And for you, my man, I appreciate you having me on. You heard him and I appreciate you too. And with that, I'll see you guys next week, potentially with a new guest. See you soon.